This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reepstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measure Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dave Reepstein, Professor of Marketing here at the Wharton School, and I'm joined in studio with my co-host, Sunil Betty, who's a Ph.D. candidate in ethics and in marketing here at the school. Um, we're live every Monday at 4 p.m. on Sirius XM Channel 132. So let's get started with uh, Doug Cornell, Vice President of Marketing at Premier Nutrition Corporation. Doug, welcome. Glad to have you on the air. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So it's interesting dealing with a company whose name is not necessarily on the package. And uh, and so not everybody may know the name Premier Nutrition Corporation, but I bet they know some of your products. So um, tell us about the company, Premier Nutrition Corporation. And uh, what I really would like to know is how you got there, what you were doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um so uh, surprising enough, Premier Nutrition is um, we're the number two uh, company in active nutrition. So even though we're not a household name, um, we do make a lot of products that uh, consumers know and love. Um, our flagship product is Premier Protein. It's a, a protein shake. If you've ever been in Costco and Sam's, you'll definitely see it. Um, 30 grams of protein, one gram of sugar. Um, so a nice, healthy uh, protein shake. And uh, we also have Power Bar, um, which is kind of a household name, um, started the energy bar category. So those are our two um, big brands. And uh, how I kind of got into uh, healthy food marketing was um, I was actually in ice cream. I was working on Haagen-Dazs and um, had a little bit of a health scare, um, really changed my diet. Um, so so you, you personally had a health scare? Yeah, yeah. Um, had a little bit of health scare, some bad news from a doctor, um, and completely kind of changed how I ate. And the interesting thing is I lost about 30 pounds, wow. felt like I had a lot more energy, um, and I had this aha moment of um, it's not necessarily how much you work out, but um, a lot of your health is related to food. And yeah. I was just like, I, I got to get into healthy food. Um, and I made the jump from haagen to Cliff Bar for about four years, um, learned about uh, healthy food. And then um, what really drew me to Premier is it's not a household name. Uh, only about 4% of households buy the shakes. But it's a dynamite product in terms of its taste, and uh, I wanted to introduce it to uh, the masses. So um, that's my story. Wow. So um, I've always wondered, by the way, I see people working at these ice cream stores, and I wonder, you know, do they weigh themselves when they start the job, and then do they weigh themselves, uh, you know, well into it? And uh, and I've got to believe it would be so hard to work at one of these ice cream stores and not gain just tons of weight. And so that, that might have been part of, of uh, your experience when you were doing Haagen-Dazs. Yeah, exactly we, uh, that. Had a, we had an ice cream parlor, which was kind of all you could eat, you know, if you worked at the company. And so we always joked um, it was like uh, the freshman 20 when uh, you could have all you could <laughs> yeah. eat ice cream. 
uh, got to steer clear of that. Yeah, so my parents had a small independent drugstore when I was growing up, and we had a soda fountain. And so we had ice cream and ice cream floats, and I was, you know, I was, I was uh, pounding it down, and my pounds were on the way up. So uh, it, it was a dangerous path to go down. And you are absolutely right. I go to the gym, and I work out really hard every weekend. And so I'm one of those weekend warriors, and I weigh myself on Friday morning, and I weigh myself on Monday morning, and my weight's up, and it really drives me nuts. And so, you know, you are 100% right. You could work out and lose some calories and get in, and get in better muscle tone. Um, I'm not the poster child for that, but that, that's sort of what happens. But it really is what it is that you eat. So it's so great that you've got products that are really, you know, aimed at trying to encourage people's health and healthy eating. Do, do people understand that? Do people really get that? Um, people do get that. I think uh, it's kind of common knowledge of some of the avoid for you foods. And I think on everyone's radar is how do I make small little improvements um, towards my health by eating better? And um, that's why I like, you know, for our premier protein shake, um, the magic is people have that in the morning um, as opposed to an egg McMuffin or a bagel or, you know, a donut. And um, it's a great way to start, and it's 160 calories. And uh, what we hear from our consumers also is I feel better when I make a good, healthy choice in the beginning of the day. And I'm like, hey, I want to stay on track. So it almost kind of keeps them going throughout the day. Um, but the important thing um, that we've really learned that I think a lot of healthy food companies struggle with, I'm sure you've tasted like some like plant protein shakes or, you know, energy bars. And you're like, I'm never going to eat that again. It, you know, sounds healthy, but it doesn't taste great. And what we really focus on is in order to make a change, the product has got to taste great, right? Um, It's too hard to stick with something that doesn't taste great. And so that's what we as a company are really focused on is it's got to be healthy, but it absolutely has to taste great or you're not going to buy it again. So it's it's, it's a, uh, a challenging issue for you of I'm dealing with with consumers. Some of them are interested in uh, building protein. Some of them are interested in keeping calories down. And some of them are, I just want something that tastes great, like you were talking about. Do you need the combination of all three of those? Or what is it that's really the driver for your target? Yeah, it depends on who the target is. So... Um, and convenient nutrition, which our category is, there are there are some people that want to eat healthier and feel full. Um, so it kind of suppresses their appetite, and then they're not making poor choices. Uh, and the beauty of protein, and our our product has 30 grams of protein, is it tastes great and it helps them keep full, um, so they don't don't make bad choices. The interesting thing about Premier Protein also is you've got those people that just want to feel full and they're using it, but then you have also people that are, you know, high activity that want to build muscle, and 30 grams of protein is a lot in a shake. Um, So we have different target audiences that are actually using it for different um, purposes and occasions. So I often see at the gym people that do the protein bars and the protein powder and everything. Those are ones that are really trying to build muscle. I don't know if they're interested in, you know, watching their weight. 
They're trying. Agreed. They, uh, Agreed. And, and so it's it. Uh, you've got a, a sort of different segments that you're uh, able to appeal to there. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a little bit of the magic of this product is we um, would have a consumer who is fairly sedentary that is, you know, just trying to eat healthier, and we'll have a, a hardcore um, bodybuilder buying the same product. Um, and it almost turns like classic marketing on its head, right? Because classic right. marketing, it's all about who is your target audience and just win with that target audience. Um, and we have a couple that this product is really resonating with, and um, it makes for an interesting challenge on marketing plans. And no, I, I, I bet it does for sure. Uh, let me let me remind our audience: we're talking to Doug Cornell, who's the vice president of marketing at Premier Inspiration. And you're listening to Measured Thoughts with uh, Dave Reepson and Sunil Betting on uh, Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. And you can give us a call, 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And I do want to ask you a, a, a question, but Sunil, you had something? You yeah, had? Doug. Um, you know, you're talking a little bit about market segmentation, and you've been talking about you know these different segments um, that maybe consume your product for different reasons. Um, but do you think that there's a subset of the population that you target that just doesn't know about protein, doesn't know the importance of protein, and, and really doesn't know that they actually will be better off if they're eating healthy. And so how do you think about, if that exists, how do you think about educating that consumer before you even kind of give them a product, educating them about you know having a healthier lifestyle? Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting question, and I think, you know, Throughout my career in food marketing, there are there's so much misinformation on food and what's healthy and trend diets and um, people. A lot of consumers are really at the surface. So I think you know protein is definitely mainstreamed. So I think in general, when we look through our research, people understand that protein is good. Um, Beyond that, like really why protein is good for your body or what type of impact it has on your body, very, very little knowledge. And even on types of protein, like, hey, should I have you know whey protein versus plant protein? So we do have a big focus around not only talking about our product, but also just the education around it sure. and what protein is, right? And um how you use it and why it's valuable for your body. But you do also have to do it in fairly approachable terms because with the vast majority of people, when you start getting into the science and um, you know molecular chemistry and all those things, you lose them. So mm -hmm. it really has to be very simple and straightforward um, so that people make easier and better choices. Types of protein? Type, uh, protein's protein, right? <laughs> so, okay, so I'm one of the naive that. ones uh, that you could put in that whole thing. Uh, and let me just ask you this, though. You know, you've got another product called Power Bars, which um, was Power Bars one of the very first protein bars that was out on the market? Um, you know, it's interesting. Power Bar uh, created the category, the energy bar category, and um, it wasn't protein. It was energy-based. So, you know, there are three macronutrients, protein being one. Um, Power Bar really focused on the carbs, um, all about energy to power people, primarily athletes, um, through their kind of physical sports and things. So that's where Power Bar has started. Um, and it also just talks about kind of the interesting path of 
the nutrition category is it used to be all about energy, healthy energy, um, which is carbs and calories and sugars. And just within the last eight years, how um, that is definitely out of vogue. And there's this been a big focus towards low sugar and, and higher protein. Wow. Um, and actually, the uh, the uh, premier protein drink is low in carbs, right? It is. Yeah. It has uh, one gram of sugar, um, 160 calories. So it has very few carbs um, and all protein. So it just, uh, it's interesting. Um, yeah, 20 years ago, everybody wanted carbs and sugar and energy and Everyone thought that was the right thing to be healthy, and these days it's it's protein. And I think part of us understanding food is it's all about your lifestyle too. So we are less active um, as consumers, and when you're less active, you need less carbs and you want more protein. Yeah. So I, I'm curious on this. You know, when you were the first one that were there in in the protein bars and, and nutrition bars. Um, that market's changed so much. And I'm trying to think about how there's two things that have gone on. What, As you were just talking about, how people's taste and what they were looking for has changed. But then also your competitive environment has changed. So I'm real curious about how you've made that um, adaptation and, and how you've had to change your marketing along the way. Yeah, it is... Um... The one thing that I love about food is it's constantly evolving and changing. And when the energy bar category started out, it was a lot of cyclists and runners and sports addicts. Um, and what you've seen now is this rapid mainstreaming of bars. And you go to an average grocery store, there may be a hundred brands and consumers aren't eating them for sports anymore. There's there's very little kind of sports and like cycling and running connection. And it's more, I just want an everyday snack. And if it's an everyday snack, you have to change those macronutrients and nutritionals. So what you've seen with Power Bar is um, we just launched a plant protein bar for Power Bar uh, to recognize that, that, hey, most consumers are snacking on these products. Um, they want something that tastes great and is healthy, but isn't loaded with sugar. Uh, and that's where also Power Bar is going is um, nutrient-dense ingredients, uh, a little more leading edge than Premier um, with some of the plant proteins and uh, some of those other things. And uh, we'll continue to um, innovate in that space. So I, you know, I'm really curious whether or not, since you've got a brand and it's got a particular reputation and positioning, and the customer's tastes are changing, are you, are, you know, you're staying within the exact brand and yet trying to change people's perceptions of it. How hard is that? And, and are you taking the already existing customers and getting them to shift their perceptions? And are you losing some of them as you do that? Uh, yeah, that, that is um, the million-dollar thing that, that we have to unlock with Power Bar. If you think about it, Power Bar started as for elite athletes, you know, high carbs, high sugar, and you have a market that has gone to the complete um, other side of that. And us not only changing the products um, is one thing, uh, but then also, like, how do you change that equity? And, you know, my team has been working on Power Bar for about three years, and I think, you know, we just thought, 
hey, we're just going to change all the products, right? And we're going to make them in line with nutrition needs today. And that's going to work because Power Bar created the category um, and stands for an energy bar. But what we've learned is brand perceptions are much harder to change. And even if the products change, um, the brand perception is it's a slow boat to move. Um, and there needs to be a lot of heavy lifting and communication in order to get there. Uh, and it's very difficult. Yeah, I, I bet it is. Are you losing some customers while you're gaining others? Or, which it sounds like that must be going on. And so one of the things I'm curious about is being able to retain your customers while growing the customer base. And so, you know, how are you doing that? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's because basically we are repositioning Power Bar um, from elite athletes to more mainstream. We call them kind of everyday athletes, the weekend warriors. And whenever you reposition, you are going to lose some customers. And um, I think you have to be comfortable with that. Right. For us on Power Bar, you know, elite athletes or the extreme athletes are, you know, one to two percent of the population, whereas these weekend warriors are 18 percent. Uh, we felt comfortable with that um, in order to broaden the business. But it does take a lot of heavy lifting on some of the communication pieces just to kind of change that equity and reposition it with consumers. So you're listening to uh, Measure Thoughts with Dave Reepson and Sunil Betty on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. And we're currently speaking with Doug Corneal, who's the Vice President of Marketing at Premier Nutrition Corporation. And you can give us a call at one wharton That's one 942 7866 And Doug, uh, you know, part of what we've been talking about is, you know, how do you appeal to this ever-changing customer uh, need and desire that's there? As you've moved to go to the Weekend Warrior, which I'm part of, um, you also have a whole bunch of competition that's there. One of the questions that I've got is trying to think about what you do to maintain your position or, or even your presence on the shelf. And so that's got to be a huge challenge for you. What do you, what do, you do for that? Yeah, you're exactly right. You um, walk down that bar aisle and uh, lots of competitors. Uh, but all... Um, all the retailers, you know, the Kroger's of the world, the Walmart, et cetera, they're, they're looking to grow their category. So they are looking for new innovation and new ways to get um, consumers to buy more bars or new consumers to enter the category. So in order to reposition a brand um, and you have to develop new products, they, they really can't be new uh, Me Too products. They need to offer something different, and that needs to be consumer-driven. So for us to maintain our shelf space, it's all around our new innovation. Uh, one of our big pieces was around our plant protein bar, and how we gain shelf space is you taste a lot of plant protein bars, and there is it's like you're you know, eating kale straight uh, without any dressing on it. I mean, they're, they're tough to eat, and where we really cracked the code with Power Bar was um, a great-tasting plant protein bar and a way for consumers to get um, those nutrients in their diet without sacrificing taste. And kind of we were the first in that space of cracking the code there. And we'll keep working on new innovation. And really, new innovation is how you're going to have to grow um, your shelf space with those guys. So, so Doug, you've been telling us a little bit about, you know, 
what is the substance behind a lot of the, the marketing for these new innovative products. Take us a little bit more through the details of where that marketing happens. You know, does it happen in the store? Does it happen in the Kruger right before the purchase point? Are you guys using more social media? Are you guys using more advertising? How are you thinking about you know, delivering this message and the avenues that you're delivering it? Yeah, as we work on marketing plans, and um, I'll use Premier Protein as an example because it's, it's still relatively unknown. Uh, we do a combination of things. So for Premier Protein, um, we have an influencer campaign um, because people that have fallen in love with the shake, um, those are the people that we use to kind of spread our word. And we use several avenues. So one, just the rapid rise of e-commerce um, has definitely hit our active nutrition category. Um, some brands are now in around 10% of their share is all through e-commerce. So we will do a lot of marketing around e-commerce. And the beauty around the marketing on e-commerce, especially with Amazon, is um, finally you get some great measurability where people see the ads, they react to the ads, but you'll actually be able to determine who saw the ad, reacted to the ad, and who actually purchased your product or purchased a competitive product. So an amazing amount of data there. So e-commerce is a big focus area for us. Um, like you mentioned, hat shelf through customer marketing and shopper marketing is really critical, especially in a crowded category. And what we've found to be um, especially successful for us because of our taste um, preference on the shakes is we're kind of a little old-fashioned. We'll, we'll demo the product. Um, there's nothing like the old saying of, like, tasting is believing. Mm -hmm. So instead of coupons at shelf or just, you know, a little floor graphic, um, we try to get our people in there that talk about the shake and allow consumers to taste it. So those are major pillars for us on how we think about marketing. So, so by the way, can you come up with a uh, – you don't have to give me the answer, but I want to know if you have the answer of how much doing demo in-store really – you know, what kind of return you get for that? Because that, there's a cost. You've got a person that has to be there. You're giving away free product. Mm -hmm. um, I assume you've been able to calculate uh, a return on that investment. Uh, absolutely. And the interesting thing why um, is Premier Protein grew up as a club brand. Um, we really got our start in Costco and Sam's. And if you've ever been in those club stores, they you see a lot of demos, right? You get to taste a lot of product. I was there yesterday. That's I the think I, I had my lunch there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and we'll get um, the interesting piece is we will get, you know, basically daily sales from those accounts, and we'll see um, our sales on demo days um, tick up in terms of number of purchases. But the important thing just isn't that demo day, but it's something we call bump and stick. Sure. Where we have the bump from the demo day, but then we're not on demo for the next three or four weeks, but we still start seeing that slide uptick where we've noticed we've converted consumers. Um, so it is a major part of our um, marketing plan is get the product out front of consumers and uh, really push on that bump and stick. I'd love to know how long is that tail? Um, that is a it's a it's a good question. Um, it de for us it depends on uh, amount of purchase. So if you go into a club store, it's 
typically 18 shakes. Um, and if you think about it, consumers are having a shake every morning. Um, so what we typically see is after the demos, it's about a three or four week, and we'll start to see that bump and stick. We don't see it immediately um, because we've pantry loaded sure. um, about 18 shakes. But about a month later, we'll look at kind of just our weekly sales coming out of some of these accounts, um, and we'll start to see that uh, uptick. And we'll also do where we don't have um, demos. So we'll look at some of those stores, too, just to make sure um, our demos are working. Because you're right, it's we're paying a person um, uh, a good chunk of money. Those demo costs are you know, around three to $500 um, per demo per club. So uh, you really need to watch the return of investment on that. Yeah, that, that's a, it's a, a great thing that you're doing it. And sort of you're making some decisions, let's say, within Costco. We're going to do it in some Costcos and not other Costcos so we can see the uh, the distinction. So you're sort of running your own experiment? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll also partner with other brands just to see if um, another brand that's complementary to a shake, uh, if we'll get an additional lift um, or if it detracts from us. Uh, so we really, um, and it's down to a science, like you really want to demo on a weekend because that's where you get your biggest bang for the buck, um, because that's store traffic. So we've, um, because it is expensive, uh, we, uh, we've taken it down to the very, very detail just to really, how do we maximize the return, um, from those demos? That's great. So uh, I'm curious, do you, I would think one of the major metrics, I was wondering what metrics it is that you use to measure the success of what's going on. Do you look at share of wallet or share requirements? And, um, and if that's not clear, I can explain that, but I suspect you know the, those metrics very well. Yeah, we do look at that. It's um, sometimes like it's a little theoretical on like share of wallet. I think what we do in terms of like how we measure um, our marketing campaigns, like first and foremost, I want to build a brand um, for Premier Protein. And the reason I sometimes steer clear of like share of wallet is we're so underdeveloped right now. We only have 4% household penetration um, that I'm not getting a huge share of wallet, but what I do want to see is our premier protein brand and those equity metrics and how people think about that brand. I want to see movement there. Um, so we'll spend a lot of time trying to move those metrics in terms of just, have you ever heard of the brand? Is it top of mind? Um, is it an upcoming brand? Is it a good value? Um, you know, is it leading edge health and wellness? So we'll track a lot of our equity metrics um, versus share of wallet because we're still so small um, compared to a lot of the other brands. So I would suspect that you're not going to be able to get 60, 70 percent of the people buying, you know, shakes or bars. Um, but there's a, a small set that's going to be buying them and eating them. I, I know in my household, we go through two bars a day. No question about it. But, you know, both Sarah and I will have a bar every day, sometimes maybe more. And, um, and, and the quest I would think is take those heavy users and get a larger share of their usage. And so that's sort of the share of wallet 
you know, component that I'm talking about, rather than trying to get people to eat these bars or drink these shakes that wouldn't, that, that's not where they're at. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of curious how you think about that. Uh, yeah. Um, in terms of us going after the heaviest users and people that um, will buy, you know, a 20-pack, um, and we will even have consumers, like, we'll run these big discounts in club, and there will be consumers coming out with, like, five or six 18 counts. Whoa. Um, that that's a big basket ring. And, um, so we absolutely focus on kind of that lowest hanging fruit of, um, consumers and really trying to position our brand, um, as their best choice. And I think the interesting thing is if you look at a lot of the protein shakes out there, they're, they're not super approachable. Um, there's a lot of kind of heavy muscle, um, science, uh, stuff that's not necessarily super understandable. But what we found is the heaviest users aren't using it for that. They're using it as, as their breakfast, right? And sure. mm-hmm. if you think about it, someone may work out three days a week, but they're eating breakfast um, seven days a week. And they're also kind of using our shake for an afternoon pick-me-up. And um, so th- we do focus on those users, especially just in terms of their purchase rate and how many times they're drinking it. Just for clarification for our audience's purpose, uh, when you talk about the heavy user, you're not talking about people that weigh over 200 or 250 pounds. You're talking about the amount of consumption that they do. So we could think about these as the whales of the customers, but that also creates different imagery. So the the heavy users, the frequent users, are the ones that uh, is where a lot of the money is. It, it, it does do the eighty twenty rule apply to you guys? Uh, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Right. So, so um, and, and just what that really is referring to is that twenty percent of your users basically represent eighty percent of your volume. And I would, and that's so true in so many different categories, and I would suspect it's true for you as well. So uh, that makes lots of sense. La- last question that I have for you, don't hold me to that, is I'm really curious, given your background, sort of the difference your experience is in working for a nutrition company versus for working where you were before for haagen which no one could argue was a nutrition company. And, and so how... What is that experience like, you know, and and how is it different? Yeah, it is interesting. I think um, for an indulgent category like ice cream, um, Haagen-Dazs, Nestle drumstick, there food becomes um, there's a lot of emotional benefits. So you will focus a lot on the emotions and how the food makes you feel, and the warm, fuzzy space around the food with, you know, Nestle drumstick. It was about kind of reconnecting with your past and, you know, offering your child a drumstick and it's, you know, reconnecting with youth. And so there was a lot more on the emotional benefits. And I think with nutrition, what you see is um, there's a lot more on the functional space. There's not a lot of emotionality around a protein shake, but there is a lot of functional benefits around a protein shake and determining how that protein shake can make you live a healthier life and a happier life. But 
those were the big differences for me is um, really the emotional space versus kind of a lot of the functional space. So are you in the right space? Are people, people becoming more functional in, in their decision-making, or is it just you're, you're now on the other side of the coin? Um, I think people are much more aware of what they're eating and aware of the need for functional food. And that food is fuel and that food is part of your health. I don't think we're ever going to turn into um, uh, a group or a society where um, it's 100% functional. There will there will always be um, a need for both. And I think even our goal here at Premier Nutrition is um, – I think the last thing I would want is um, the people to give up the foods that they love. Um, there are a lot of benefits in, in eating the foods that you love and, and how it makes you feel and your your emotional wellness. Um, but I do think there is there's just more awareness, and it'll continue to grow as people want to be healthier and um, and eat better and make better choices. I think you're on the right side of that uh, of that sort of divide that's there and. You guys are positioned in the right place. So, Doug, thank you very much for joining us. This is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 